Hey, it's Jim Paff again, and this is the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are evil because they want to run your lives. We promote culture and government that values voluntary decisions left up to you. This is a way to promote justice and kindness that thinks about the needs of others before ourselves. Go to our website, politicsisntnice.com, and join our email list. The button's right there at the top right, politicsisntnice.com. It's Jim Paff. This is the Against Nice podcast, and a really special treat for you today with my friend Jason Jones. Jason uh, runs an organization called Movie to Movement. He has promoted pro-life films. We'll tell you a little bit about how we got together and became friends, but this is a really special podcast. you got to listen to the whole thing. Really amazing stuff coming up. Well, everybody, welcome uh, to Against Nice podcast. We're not very nice. This is in the safe zone, and we're going to prove that today because my friend uh, Jason Jones is on with me. He's a movie producer, uh, pro-life activist, fantastic brother, someone who has been a blessing to me for many years and right now is in a major fight. He's from Hawaii, and he's uh, actually gotten the state to recognize that we have constitutional rights it's kind of interesting so welcome my friend how you doing hey good to see you brother it's actually good to, to see you and look yes. at you and uh, it's been a while and i'm doing well good it's kind of text and phone calls too much anymore nowadays yeah right now that i left capitol hill um so tell me what's going on man you uh give people a little background on you and then uh and and what do that first and then we'll kind of get to what's going on right now. I want people to know the cool things you do. I will say this to start. We got to know one another. We were introduced at the Values Voter Summit in 2007. You were uh good memory. Yeah, with Eduardo Verostegui uh promoting the Bella movie, which is one of the most fabulous pro-life movies amongst the many you've been involved with uh that that I've ever seen. I mean, I still cry at the end, you know, just amazing it's the heart of God. And uh, so I connected you up with uh, Dr. Dobson. I was working at folks with the family at the time and um, we were able to help for some promotion on that, but you guys did the heavy lifting and you had actually a well, no. amount of success. Yeah, no. And I remember when we met and we I, I also, John Stenberger was with us that day. We yeah, were in the yeah. hotel where president Reagan was shot in front of. Right. That's exactly right. And uh you know, focus on the family. You connect us with Dr. Dobson, who's a, someone I'd always looked up to. And that was key to the success of our film. As Steve McAvity, who is a mentor of mine, was the producer of The Passion, credits Dr. Dobson with uh, the success of The Passion of the Christ. So I just want to thank you for that. That Yeah, we've been friends ever since. So Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it was totally divine, divinely yeah. uh, ordained, I think. Uh, and... Um, you know, and Steve McAvity, I mean, a lot of people don't know, not just Passion of the Christ, but he was involved with um, uh, Braveheart. Thank you, we Braveheart. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> don't answer. I am. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, we he's, were soldiers. Yeah. I think he was involved with We Were Soldiers as well, too, maybe. Yeah, when we were soldiers. IMDb has him listed. I sent it to him. <laughs> I said, you're yeah. listed on IMDb as one of the top 20 producers in the history of film. And he goes, you did that. Like, he's such a humble guy. Like, that's yeah. one of your games that you play. I said, no, I, I said, you are literally listed as one of the top 20 producers in Hollywood history on IMDb. And uh, well, he, he thought I 
was playing some sort of, you know, a game with uh, my campaign tactics, but, uh, <laughs> which I do play those games, but they was legitimately, but he's such a humble guy and he's one of the biggest producers in Hollywood history. But um, yeah, he credits, he said there was no way that the passion would have been a success without the courage of Dr. Dobson. Yeah. And he says that all the time. What a great man. I mean, Dr. Dobson has had such a positive influence on this culture. I saw him, uh, I was, I went to a Trump rally, uh, before everything closed down and Dr. Dobson was there and Shirley and my wife and I got to talk to him for a little bit. I was really proud to work for him. Uh, one of the things talk about passion. One of the things that I learned from Dr. Dobson was that, you know, all of us in the public policy department focus, uh, something would come up, he'd be attacked in some way, and people put out this, you know, very reasoned, rational response to it, trying to be, you know, right on the facts, and all that's good, but Dr. Dobson would get so frustrated, he'd say, no, 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 I need something stronger, see, because you meet passion with passion, and uh, that yeah. that's, you know, that's a, a, a fundamental thing for why I have this against nice approach to, to uh, politics, doesn't mean we're mean, but it does mean that we're no. passionate and focused and purposeful. It's actually an ultimate kindness to oppose what's going on in society because our goal is to get things back in order. And, and our goal is not to just decimate our opponents. I mean, the, the real yeah. goal is to get our opponents and everyone else what will work for them, what will make them have a great life, or at least a better life as you can have in this world. Yeah, you know, I like that you use the word kindness because I was going to say that. Um, I am, I have been, never been accused of being nice, have yeah. often been accused of being passionate. Yeah. And knowing that when you're driven, and I'm driven from something that happened to me personally, when you're driven, sometimes, especially when you're young, when I was young, I realized I was like a bull in a china shop and hurting a lot of people. So I have always prayed for like invincible grace to be kind to be thoughtful. And I think passionate people, we don't mean to hurt people's feelings. We don't mean to break all the China in the shop, but sometimes you do. So that's the skill. Like we, I don't want to be ever accused of being nice. Right. But I want to be kind. I want to be thoughtful. I want to be a balm on a wound. I don't want to um, pick at a wound or, or deepen a wound. And so I'm passionate. So that is a, a problem of mine. Uh, maybe even last week I did that to my whole state. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah yeah so i like that i like the the title against nice because most people who aren't not naturally you know as a filmmaker the call to adventure is when you experience an injustice or witness an injustice and some of my my biggest heroes are unlikely for people and i say you know i am a i am a christian i'm a catholic but my like i'd say the people the four people that have influenced me the most or i felt the, the greatest attraction to are ayn rand hannah Arendt. Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. And well, what do these four people have in common? They, they were wounded gravely as young people and they, they were passionate. And the passion was birthed from the wound. Ayn Rand, anti-Semitism from, the, 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 from Christians in Russia. Yeah. As, a, as a young girl, uh, the violence of the Bolsheviks as a teenager, the abuse from the left uh, as a new immigrant to America. Hannah Arendt was a German Jew who loved Germany and rejected her faith for Plato, then was rejected by her lover, Heidegger, who became a Nazi and by her country. 
And then that just made Hannah into one of the most thoughtful, interesting people ever. You know, Malcolm X's father was cut in half by the Ku Klux Klan on a trolley track and all the abuse that he suffered. Then you have Muhammad Ali. And if you look at all of their lives, some succeeded more. Uh, You saw in Ali and Malcolm X, unfortunately, Malcolm X was was killed before you could see the full flowering of it. And Ali, you got to see it. Uh, And and Hannah Arendt, you got to see a really profound thoughtfulness. Ayn Rand maybe never reined it in, but it was understandable. And, and so, yeah, that's it. These people were, I always joke about Ayn Rand. I know that it's in vogue for us as Christians to bash her so we can show to the left, look, we hate someone with you too. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's from Whitaker Chambers on in in National Review. We've been beating up on Ayn Rand when she was the most courageous voice against totalitarian socialism when they were doing massive killings. And I say, you know, Ayn Rand would have never admitted it, but she was radically committed to solidarity to people behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. She could have just been a screenwriter and a novelist and minded her own business if she was really as selfish as she had claimed. But no, she had spent her whole life tilting against a regime uh, that was persecuting her family and her friends and her neighborhood where she grew up. So, um, yeah, so I, lo- I love the title of your show, Against Nice. Yeah, I listen on Ayn Rand. My, my deep criticism of her is her hatred of philanthropy, which um which expressed itself in what came across as a severe selfishness i think that comes from a lot of her her history too oh, 100%. that having been said though she she helped lay the foundation for freedom and the principles of freedom and i'm not and, and objectivism too you know she was an atheist she she rejected yeah. god and and again I, I think you do i heard your a podcast where you talked about this one of your podcasts and uh you know, it's, it's unfortunate and sad. I mean, we, we're believers, you know, we're sincere about the beauty of what God created and when what he intended to do for mankind, what he does for mankind by grace, even with all of our deep failings. And so it's unfortunate that she took that path. But the, the intellectual foundations for freedom were well laid by her. She was firm about it. And as you say, it had a positive effect behind the Iron Curtain and in promoting within our society and in Western society in general, a need to continue opposition to that uh, horrible philosophy. And so she still needs to bring praise. But I'll tell you the one that, that I'm passionate about like you are, and I'm, I love the fact that you are, is Malcolm X. What an amazing Christ. story. Yeah, right. A wounded, tortured young man uh, in, subject to the worst forms of racism that we've ever seen in this country began his political activity as an adult, frankly, a little toward the violent side. No, not entirely there, but really kind of endorsing that. And then just has an epiphany, has a change of heart and what a beautiful change of heart it was. It is tragic that he was killed because he could have been an amazing voice moving forward. He had dozens of years left in his life when he was killed. And that would have been a, a great positive along the lines of Martin Luther King. That's the, the direction he started going and a, and a firm, passionate, clear voice, a great intellect. It was a tragic loss to our country, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and you can look at it like, for example, is the work that his daughter, Ilyasa Shabazz does, uh, that's like a continuation of who her father was becoming. And, he, you know, it's obviously a young man whose father's cut in half by men holding guns um 
is going to look to violence as a solution. And, and you know, and, and I just want to address Ayn Rand really quick. Like she yeah. had a diminished view of the human person. Uh, she, had this, she had this individualism, but what she never could understand because of the scandal of the church in Russia at the turn of the yes. century, um, she couldn't understand that her whole philosophy was really grounded in Christian anthropology. Yeah. And she stripped it down. She didn't understand that. And I, I get her, her fear of philanthropy. Every time she met an altruist in the first 30 years of her life, they were trying to kill her, you know, yeah, yeah. whether it was a Christian or whether it was a socialist. So I think she just, when she heard someone use the word, the language of altruism, I think she literally was having a fight or flight response. Her body was saying, run for your life. And, um, but we can learn from these people, you know, I'll, yeah. can I, and the reason when, when I really, I grew up in a neighborhood where Malcolm X, I mean, not Malcolm X, the Farrakhan was influential. Mm -hmm. I would get the final call as a boy, because for a dollar, you get the final call, and, which was the Nation of Islam's newspaper with a banana and an apple. Yeah. And I'd give him a dollar just for the fruit bag, the little blonde haired blue eyed kid buying the final call, and I'd read it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, but it wasn't until I was a 17 year old soldier, I was a high school dropout. I joined the army the day I turned 17 because my high school girlfriend was pregnant and I wanted to be a father. Well, you know, we learned when we were boys, yeah. if a young man gets a young woman pregnant, the way that's from working class family, the military is a good way to support a family. So I literally joined the army on my 17th birthday, mm -hmm. do a special program for troubled youth, which I was. And, um, but in the third, uh, right before I was to come home, I was in the infantry, basic and ITR together. Right before I was to come home, my high school girlfriend's father found out she was pregnant, forced her to have an abortion. And that mm. radically changed my life. Mm. And I didn't know any, I never went to church a day in my life. My mother had me when she was 16. So I was raised by a, a teen parent. And now here I was a teen parent. Yeah. Um, didn't know anything about religion or politics. Did not really know about abortion. I'd heard some jokes, um, but I didn't know it was legal. I kind of knew it was a thing, but it was just something strange. It's not like today for young right. people, they don't understand. We were protected. I didn't know homosexuality was really a thing until I was in the army. Yeah. I didn't know abortion was really a thing. I thought homosexuality was like some weird talk. Like you call somebody a name, meant they couldn't throw a football. You know, I thought <laughs> yeah. someone said, oh, what is gaming? You know, it means you can't play sports. Like, oh, you're gay. <laughs> you know, you feel like a yeah. queer. Honestly, that had nothing to do with sexual orientation. Like we didn't understand that. Yeah. So when I was in, in got to my duty station at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, there was a young guy, black guy in my, in my unit. And my, it was my roommate and he had NWA, you know, it's late eighties, had the NWA poster and he had a Malcolm X poster. And on the poster, it said, I didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on me. Mm. And my friend explained that to me that his dad was literally cut in half by the Ku Klux Klan on a trolley track. And the abortion issue had so addled me. This was like three months after the abortion. I see this, I'm rooming with this guy and I see the poster. And that's when I read his autobiography. My roommate had his autobiography. And then that's when I, I, I really resonated with that feeling of being ambushed by the world. Like, you know, and you're in a fight for your life. You didn't pick the fight. Mm -hmm. And as a young black man whose father is attacked by the Klan, I was a young boy whose child was, he was actually Malcolm X was a boy. I was a boy, really, 17 years old. His girlfriend had a forced third trimester abortion. And that's why, and I was very angry. You know, I had three Article 15s my first year in the Army wow. for fighting. Wow. And five total, because I had two the next year. And then I became a parent, and I had a son when I was 18. And the Article 15s ended the moment my trouble 
my anger, my violence ended the moment I cut my son's umbilical cord. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, almost a Ben-Hur movie experience, you know? It's like he took the sword out of my hand. You know, it's like suddenly life comes together. We miss these moments in life so often because yeah. uh, and they and they and they come to us constantly by god's grace to be candid yeah and uh if we if we only want to listen to them and it, it, it's a miracle when you yeah because it, just like with uh malcolm x and ayn rand anger in certain areas where your life has had deep disappointment can drag you down to a place of potentially of no recovery and yet when when these things come it, it radically transforms us when we receive it and and god can work in those areas i mean i think that's that's an amazing story yeah we should see it in other people too right like when we see somebody really pro-abortion or really yeah. for gay marriage or gay rights you know that as dave Chappelle calls them when you see a militant alphabet person that wants to persecute christian bakers you <laughs> yeah. have to wonder is this somebody whose father disowned them because of same-sex attraction or you know when you and i were boys effeminate kids were just tortured yeah utterly tortured mm -hmm. i did it you know yeah. and then when we see a whole generation of what we call social justice warriors of people wanting to create safe spaces i'm responsible for that i'm partly responsible for that i was a young boy who would you know call people all sorts of names because they couldn't play sports they were feminine not knowing it had anything to do with sexual orientation or attraction look yeah. and i want to be clear i'm a christian sex is ordered for procreation yep. and yep. Uni uniting uh, people in the marital act for the creation and care of children. But, but, but also I don't ever want to hurt. I want to be kind. I don't. And as a passionate person who fought aggressively for uh, traditional marriage, um, I was always trying to be kind while advocating for ordered, you know, the law to conform to the, the truth about the human person in human sexuality it's often it's very hard to do sometimes you know without knowing sure. we're dealing with all these people who are hurt in so many ways yeah well and you know i ran the marriage amendment in colorado in 2006 the year before we got to know one another and um i i always argued from an intellectual base to propose that measure because too many people i listen i regard homosexuality as a sin just from a Christian perspective, I don't regard homosexuals as inhuman for the very reasons that you talked about. When I was, there's so many people that get that attitude in their mind. When I and was same-sex attraction is not a sin, right? It's not a sin for someone to have this right, just to act um, upon it. Just it's not a sin, you know. I have other than my wife's sexual attraction, right? <laughs> right. I confess, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, men, and I, I suspect my wife might have the same problem, you know, with men. That we're just human, but that doesn't make it a sin. Um, and even when people have same-sex attraction and they fall into sin, that doesn't make them, and we've never said that actually, but yeah. I can see how people who grew up when we grew up, yeah, experiencing what they experienced are hyper-vigilant and seeing are advocating traditional marriage as a dog whistle for hate. Well, and when I was in college, I went to Indiana University and I was in a, I didn't know it at the time, but the dorm that I went into my first year was about a 50% homosexual population. And like you, I had, I had never, I had the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had never experienced 
homosexuals in my life. I'd never been around anyone that I knew at least was a homosexual, but I never hated. I had a lot of friends. My roommate was a homosexual. And so, you know, I treat them like human beings. They're just guys, you know, we talk. And as I got to talk to these guys, and this is anecdotal, I'm not saying this is the, the only way, but the other, another harm that comes is so many of these guys told me that they had been sexually abused or raped when they were very young. Now, you, you can understand the pain. That is painful. They were young, abused. And again, I'm not saying every homosexual goes through that, but, but that's another area where, you know, the anger can come in. When yeah, we are harmed, he, anger can come in. Yeah, no, right. And I get that. And look at Milo was destroyed. I think what Milo did was so beautiful. And they destroyed him for trying to be beautiful. So, right. you know, look, Milo's a radical. He's, you know, he's a young guy who Milo became famous. just yeah. in case people aren't catching that. And right. when he was on the Joe Rogan show, he was talking about being abused. And he did what people who are abused do. He didn't minimize how other people experience abuse. Right. He, he became clearly uncomfortable talking about him being abused by, I think it was Father Mike. And he said it didn't hurt me. And he made a really off-color joke. And people said he diminished the, um, the, the severity of sexual abuse. No, I saw a victim using defense mechanisms, talking about his own abuse. Yeah. And he was talking about his own abuse in a way to express empathy. And it is always dangerous, especially for us as Christians, you know, where is the line between sharing one's own struggles and then one creating scandal or luring people into a position of calumny against you? So that's, it's always, it's a beautiful dance that we get to have as Christians who try to be charitable. Like, do we, how much do we share? If we share too much, we create scandal. If we don't share enough, we create scandal because they think we think we're better than everyone. Uh, if we share too much to the wrong person, we'll lure them into to the sin of detraction or calumny. So we don't want to do that. You look, the, 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 being a virtuous, tr- trying to be virtuous is the most delicate of dances. Yeah. And for me, as someone who was an atheist till I was 30, a Randian, I was an objectivist till my late 20s. Um, I'm, I'm an awkward dancer, you know, I step on your toes a lot. So I'm trying not to step on toes, but I tell you, I love learning to dance and I love getting older and seeing, wow, I don't hurt people as much anymore. I'm more thoughtful and more empathetic. I think a lot of it's grace, right? A lot of it's, I mean, I was really bad at it before, so I had, I could improve quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, in times of stress, like the shutdown, uh, where there are very strong opinions on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes challenging again. You know, uh, just to, to end the kind of close the loop on the whole Milo thing. It's amazing to me that, and he, he had his excesses and there were things I didn't like. I'd, I'd b- become acquainted <laughs> with him a little bit. And, and I like the guy. I think he's yeah. kind of fun to be around, but, but the sad thing is that the same people who hate Christians who are all and there there are them those out there that are re- truly kind of mean that that will totally reject people because they don't fit into their little tribe well enough um th- they did the same thing to Milo in public so you know this type of thing really misses this is why i promote kindness that that has its harsh edge or at least to the recipient seemingly the harsh edge because you're speaking truth, even Milo would see that harsh edge, you know, when we're, we talk about, uh, or, or would talk about what we think about. 
um, homosexuality and stuff from a biblical perspective. But what is beautiful, what can be beautiful in life, and you do this well, and I think it's why both of us really hit it off uh, right away, is be- is that we love being around people, figuring out what's going on with them, taking the time to figure out, okay, what's behind all this, whether it's good or bad, you know, what's what's the key here to this person's life, and then connecting with them right there where they're at. That that is the most important thing we can do in life. You know, I've been saying a lot lately to Christians. I said, you know, you might not be walking in a Christian manner if you're not at risk of being accused of hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners, so to speak. Not that not that you're and, and prostitutes. Not that you're out trying to, you know, be known as a person that hangs out with prostitutes or whatever. But if that's not a risk in your life, you're probably not connecting in life the way that you need to. And there's so many people in that Christian culture who are secluded in their tribe. Not, I mean, you should go to church. You and love takes risk, right? So it does. Love, it really love does. takes risk. So, you know, on that note, I was arrested last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, I was arrested last week. Uh, my crime, the First Amendment. Yeah. The mayor, governor, and chief of police have since signed a letter saying they will never arrest me again for expressing my First Amendment. <laughs> and uh, that was yeah, nice to it. get that letter. Yeah. They recognize the Constitution. But while I was being pushed in the car, well, I was arrested first. Another gentleman was pushed in the car with me. And he, I asked him what he did. He said he owned a bar. I said, I'd love to come to your bar. What's the name of it? By the name of his bar, it became clear I would never be going to that bar. I said, I don't think I'm going to that bar. <laughs> and uh, it was a different type of bar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought, okay. And then for the reopen Hawaii event, I'm getting hundreds of messages. And then one woman messages me and she talks about her business and she sends her link and she thanks me for fighting for the people of Hawaii. And it was clear from her link. Guess what she did for a living? She was was a a prostitute, an escort or whatever. Yeah. Prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about it. I said, God, what is the mystery of the reopen Hawaii movement that I went there and it wasn't Christian Republicans. Yeah. (laughs) It was some Christian Republicans, one Calvary chapel pastor, no Catholic priests, at least one strip club owner, at least one prostitute, (laughs) uh, every ethnicity in the world. And I said, what do all these people have in common? And they would have said that they're all selfish, right? People, these are selfish people out there for themselves. No, selfish people never stand up against the mob. So what was it uniquely beautiful? Because the hate we've got, I never got so much hate in my life as being on the front page of the paper handcuffed. Yeah. A big holly guy. And you know the truth. In (laughs) flip-flops. Yeah, uh, an elected official emailed me. said, Jason, you have a reputation to uphold. There you are with the t-shirt flip-flops. I said, well, that's, I hope that's my, should be my reputation because that's really who I am. And, uh, and I said, what is it that's so uniquely beautiful about these people that they love their community so much? They were not out there for themselves because the mob hate that we received was really unbelievable. And we could have anticipated, you'd have to be a knucklehead to think participating in this was going to get you, uh, uh, you know, flowers thrown at your feet. It isn't, isn't it mysterious? It's just, you would have thought it would be all Christians out there. Nah, it was some Christians and and uh, such a such a diverse 
group yeah. that I said, what's the one thing that connects these people? I'm still meditating on what is the one thing that connects these people? I can't figure it out yet. Yeah. I, 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 we are, it is necessary for us to stand up for human beings, to treat people like human beings. I mean, that, that in a sense, that, that is the one connection. There's something more specific than that, I think. But this human desire for freedom is very real. Um, for those who are not connected to the Lord in any way, uh, it still is imprinted in their heart what was meant for them from creation. And I think that that comes out in this area. I, I don't know that that's the answer to it. But, yeah. you know, the thing, the thing that is so important about what you went through last week, which just to make it very clear, you know, there was a, at the state capital capital, by the way, when I saw the video of you standing there, I'm sitting there thinking, where's Magnum PI? I've seen him go by there. They, they used to do filming yeah. a Magnum PI there from time to time. But anyway, um, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that um, uh, we have to remember is that the human condition Oh, oh, just to just to tell people there was a there was a a, a rally at the state capitol last week, and uh, the uh, police were fairly aggressive. They're there in Honolulu. People were fairly aggressive. The police were very aggressive at taking people out of out of it, arresting them or, or running them off. There was a military cordon operation ran yeah. on, on groups of families. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was it, it it was absolutely nuts what I saw, and. We're in a place right now, and this is why what, what you did last week is so important. Other people are doing it uh, around the country uh, to varying degrees of effect. We have a government that has insisted that it has the ultimate authority on our rights in certain circumstances. But there is no ultimate authority that they have over our rights. Our rights are founded, first of all, in God. Our Declaration of Independence makes this very clear. And we codified as best we could, and it's the best document in the history of the world in this regard, the rights that we have in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which have given us freedom for generations. And that comes under threat because certain politicians who are scared for their skins or don't understand what real individual liberty is and that that's a fundamental principle of our country believe that when they are superseding our rights, in the meantime, just like the New Jersey governor said it, he didn't even think about the Bill of Rights when he put his order out. He said, no, clearly none of them are. Yeah. No. And we got to assert these things. And you are, you pay a little price, but when we stand, we win. Again, against nice. I'm, I'm not trying to be nice about this, but it, we are fundamentally trying to assert when we're doing it our way or at our time, when others are not doing it as well, we inspire them to understand and remember what the foundation of those rights are. And that's what took place last week. And you got a good outcome with it. You know, kind of hit on that and then tell the outcome as well. Yeah, so the outcome is, well, first of all, I just want to say this, that I was there first and foremost because of my concern that this shutdown is going to starve hundreds of millions of people around the world. Absolutely. And my own state is not food secure. Hawaii is the most food insecure place in the developed world. And our governor and mayor have never once uh, mentioned you know, 35% unemployment, our stores are already seeing uh, products not on the shelves. If we had this 18 month shutdown that some people are talking about, there will be hunger, real hunger in the state of Hawaii. 
And there is going to be starvation around the world already. David Beasley from the World Food Program saying over 100 million deaths this year already will be, it's already effectively inked because of the slowdown of the global economy, food production and distribution. So that's why I was there. Sad that the Bill of Rights wasn't the number one reason I was there, but that was also another reason I was there. Uh, yeah, we were arrested. I was on video. People, you know, wanted to share. It didn't sound. I said, we need to escalate this. And, and what I wanted to escalate was the police did not want to arrest us. That was very clear. They had orders to arrest us. They moved in three platoons for about a half hour. Things were great. Thought we were going to get in and out, do our thing, go home, barbecue. But they came in uh, from, from about a half a block away in each direction. And then there was a street here and they came in and I was an infantryman. I've done cordons on villages. I know what it looks like. Like this is a military operation. Yeah. It's being maneuvered. They could have just sent police officers in Aloha shirts with, with notepads. And I think it would have gone much smoother, but when everyone, and I, I was the worst, <laughs> you know, I said I could have been a little more MLK and a little less Malcolm X, but <laughs> there was, when I saw, the platoons moving in, I did what I was trained to do, move towards the ambush, fight your way through it. So I, I, I raced to where they were about a half a block away with my video rolling, trying to slow them down and capture everything they were doing. The police did not want to arrest us. At one point, one said, just pretend to walk away. When I, I was walking away and I said, oh, I'm, I'm walking away. I'm not going to pretend to leave. So you're going to have to make a decision. Follow your order or disobey your orders. So you had 30, 40 police officers there that were, were ordered to cite all of us. Mm. They cited five and arrested three. So what that tells me is they didn't want to cite anybody. Mm -hmm. But a few of us didn't give them a choice. There was a Samoan chief with his big flag that was like, no, right, arrest me. And there was this woman on a microphone and there was the bar owner. I don't know what he did. But there was just a handful of us that... Um, forced them to do what they were ordered to do. I really thought they would stand down and not give us any tickets because it was clearly Ill illegal. They were operating under the cover of law to, to uh, deprive me of my First Amendment protections. So um, they have now understood this, I think. There's a letter from the governor, mayor, and chief of police that they'll leave us alone for now on. And we'll be ha I'll have my day in court, and I requested a trial by jury, uh, jury trial. I hope that's the case. Um, so yeah, I got arrested. And my real hope is that, you know, this stays peaceful. If we don't have large peaceful protests now opening up the economy, when the food runs out, it's going to be chaotic and violent. So to me, the idea is let's escalate this now, folks. Let's get out to these reopen movements now while we've got food in our belly. Well, well, you know, there's still hope because when we, be, when we become hopeless, and when we become hungry, there will be violence. And it yeah. won't be those of us who are God-fearing and carry around our little constitution and people think we're kooks. It's going to be people who feel betrayed. It's going to be folks, I put on Twitter, all you people saying there's going to be hunger and poverty are dumb. Stop worrying. Money comes from the government and food from the store and both are still open. Do you know how many people thought I was being serious and said, yeah, right? What are they worried about? Government's open and there's still food in the store. Food comes from the store. And uh, so people are going to feel betrayed when the bread and circuses stop. Yeah. 
violence will inevitably, it just happens. There's, you know, the old saying, we're nine meals away from a civil war. Mm-hmm. Nine meals away mm-hmm. from a civil war. Yeah. So let's get out there now, open the economy, so no one knows what it's like to miss nine meals. You know, um, government creates these problems. We would have more flexibility on the back end of all this if uh, people, if we didn't have current government restrictions on the movement of food. The USDA is, in my opinion, the most bloated, outrageous uh, bureaucracy that, that exists in Washington, D.C. in D.C. And you know this because you've been to D.C. When you drive towards the Holocaust Museum on Independence Avenue, yeah. and there's that big uh, uh, walkway above uh, th- those two buildings on each side of that. They're yeah. huge, massive buildings. That's the USDA. And it's it looks a, like something out of the Soviet Union. It does. It's crazy. Those buildings are frightful. Can I show you something? I, I have on this right here. I can reach yeah. about 100 books on this shelf. Yeah of the most influential books in my life. And here's the two, they're right here. Yeah. These two books, Death by Government by Rummel. Yeah. The documents, the genocides, democides, and total wars of the 20th century. Yeah. And of course, this sorrowful, horrible book, The Black Book of Communism. Oh, okay, wow, yeah. number one and two killers in the 20th century. Number one was famine. Mm-hmm. Number two is direct violence from the state against the people. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit misleading because the. The greatest amount of deaths by famine in the 20th century were caused by statist mistakes. Ukraine. Tens of millions of people died in Ukraine because Stalin shut them off. China. Ukraine, China, Ethiopia, you know, and of course they blame a lot of these on blah, blah, blah. It was the mistake of statists. You know, in China, it was they kept farmers from their farms. Actually, that was what my degree, you know, my thesis was on in college was on how corruption saved China. Finally, the farmers bribe their way onto their farms <laughs> so maybe we're going to have to start bribing our way to get to work yeah. you know you cannot i made a facetime live the other day you remember in the 90s there was this commercial i think it was selling diamonds it was like a butterfly flaps his wings in the rainforest of brazil oh, yeah. a leaf falls <laughs> a frog hops on the leaf yeah. um, the frog skills scares like uh, a bird a bird flies you know next thing you know it's like your boyfriend buys you a diamond ring. Diamonds are forever. It was like something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We all got that. Was we all got that? Okay. You get how a butterfly flaps his wings, gets you a diamond ring. Okay. But you don't get how a global economic shutdown starves people. Yes. Ah, conspiracy theories, Jason. But it's normalcy bias. It's this idea that tomorrow's going to be like today. Because today is like yesterday, mm-hmm. but there are days like 9-11, there are days like December 7th, 1941, there are days like when Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot, there are days that change everything. Yep. And are we living in an era where everything is changing, where Bill Gates and Fauci and your governors are not talking about the Bill of Rights, are not talking about food security. I'm trying to use this, and I'm going to use this interview right now. Hawaii was a state created by agriculture. It was a state that was created really after the Civil War, or during the Civil War, the North needed sugar. And that's where you get CNH sugar. That Mm -hmm. empowered these planters. It led to the overthrow of the Hawaiian Kingdom. 
led to Hawaii becoming a state that led to these huge industries needing Filipinos and Okinawans and Japanese and it built who we are. We're really a people that were made by the agriculture industry. Then in the 90s, again, because of trade agreements, our ag industry was obliterated. So we have a state that used to feed the world, today cannot feed itself. Mm -hmm. So I'm advocating what I call the Hawaii Food Security Act. The people of Hawaii, we, um, we shoulder the burden, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and Alaska shoulder the burden of, for American shippers because the Jones Act protects American shipping. That's right. But we have to pay 20% more for everything. You ever see those commercials? More in Alaska and Hawaii. It's not because we're further away. A lot of this stuff's coming from Asia. They could drop it off on the way to LA. They could pick some of our stuff up and take it to LA. And then when the ships are leaving, they can drop some stuff off from the mainland and pick some of our stuff off and take it off to Asia. But they cannot do that because of the Jones Act. They got to go right past us. Yep. Then a ship, different ship has to come back. Yeah. Then it has to go back. Um, so if we have to, if the Jones Act, which played a role in destroying our agriculture, along with GATT and other things, yeah. Um, and if we have to protect shipbuilders in New England, and are they even building ships there anymore? Um, we need a Hawaii Food Security Act. We've got 1. Plus 3, 1.3 million people sitting on these islands. In two weeks, if the ships don't come, we go hungry. A month, we starve. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to use this locally, but nationally as well, that we need a structure of protections and subsidies that rebuilds the Hawaii ag industry. You know, just as the immigrants that were brought here and exploited and used to build an industry were getting ownership and participation and management and, and becoming farmers, you know, owning farms, just as the Filipinos and Okinawans and Japanese were getting in leadership roles of this, you know, in this industry and they were getting ownership in this industry, it was swept away. And now we are literally the most food insecure place in the, in the developed world. So that's what I'm hoping comes from this. But you know, our governor and our mayor have never once mentioned, don't, you know, we've got a plan for that. They've never once said, hey, we're, think, you know, we're thoughtful to the constitution with our orders. It's, it's fear mongering for power. It's, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. It's really unbelievable. It, it's, out, it's out of the scope of reality. Uh, by the way, the USDA also plays a role in food insecurity in Hawaii because of the, you know, the sugar uh, laws that we've got. There's so much that also impacts us. Here on, here on the mainland, you have a problem with, uh, with beef that's going to be here, which when this problem with beef plays out on the mainland, that's going to make your ability to get beef even worse, notwithstanding oh, the yeah. things that Rory you pulled out. Yep. And, and so I work, as you know, I worked for Thomas Massey. I mean, he's had this prime act there forever. I mean, literally uh, <clears throat> uh, cattle and hogs are being destroyed because they can't be sold. And one of the big reasons for that is the massive meat packers control things. You have to go to a large meat packing facility to sell your, to, to get process your uh, beef or hogs. You can't do it with a small local producer, which would just make the, which would open up the, uh, the, the lines of commerce in meat uh, around, but it shuts it down. We do so much in government. Listen, people probably don't understand well guys like you and me who 
profess a very real Christian faith. We're serious about it. Uh, we'll be, we'll, we evangelize in it, but we stand for the principle, really libertarian principles of limited government. And that's hard for a lot of Christians to understand. Actually, a lot of Christians stand for big government. They want big government programs to do what they want to do rather than just give people the freedom to do what they need to do. I mean, this, and it's, and it's one of the, they don't do it in part because they see people like Ayn Rand who they have a real problem with and they don't under, see individualism is not necessarily a good thing, but in, but the individual is supremely valuable. And when individuals are able, as Milton Friedman always said, to pursue their individual interests, they are able to succeed in ways that benefit everybody, even if they're individually truly selfish or greedy. I always used to say on my radio show when I was on the radio in Denver, I'd say, listen, if you're the greediest bastard in the world and you want to become a billionaire, what do you got to do to do it? We have to find a product that people want to buy. You have to hire employees that can help service that product. You need to train these employees to do things well. Then you need to go back and ask your customers, you liked our product, what else do you need or want? And then you need to design something that meets that further need so you can expand your business. And you got to constantly go back to your employees and treat them well enough that they want to keep working for you, that you get institutional knowledge from that, that they stay a long time. And, and then you become a billionaire. So, you know, even if you're the greediest bastard in the world, you got to follow the golden rule to be successful. And that's not a perfect 100%. analogy, but that is fundamentally what must happen. And, and so individual is important. Individualism can be destructive because you put, you, you can cause harm to others when they invade your space. That is wrong. But when you seek your individual interest and you pursue it the best way that you can, to succeed, even the sum total of a mixture of good and bad people bring a net result that is very positive. That's what we should be fostering in this society. And this COVID-19 is proving how much our institutions don't understand that one and don't care about it too. Yeah. And I think statism foments individualism. You know, to me, that you know, we're person, I'd say what we are is Christian personalists. We acknowledge that the human being is a person. Yeah. But the difference between a personalist, let me give you an analogy that just came to me as you were talking. Yeah. You know, if we're like both of us are drowning in the ocean and there's a raft and we're frantically swimming to get to the ocean, you couldn't tell the difference between an individualist and a personalist. You're both just frantically trying to get to that boat, trying to save your life. But once you're in that boat, you paddle to pick up the other persons. That's what personalism is. Yeah. And, and individualism to me is the philosophy. This is another book. I grabbed it to my, the history of books influenced me is this book by Ayn Rand, The Virtue of Selfishness. Yeah. You know, when you read this book, this book really influenced me. Uh, Ayn Rand was someone that never really got out of the water into the boat, that she was frantically fighting in this totalitarian sea that was raging and violent, just trying to get to this boat, so fearful of being submerged into you know, there was a real, Whitaker Chambers himself said we would lose, you know, um, that we would lose our battle against the, the socialists. So Ayn Rand never got in the boat. You and I have the grace of, of being in the boat. And, yeah. you know, and that's personalism. We want everyone's dignity protected, everyone's life and rights protected. And we acknowledge that we look at, think of the worst person, you know, the person that's screwed you over the most in business or has disrespected you the most. They are just as much a child of God as you or I. God 
loves them, sustains them, cares for them just as much as you or I. And if there's somebody watching this who you and I have wronged and they think we're the worst people in the world, they need to remember God loves us as much as they love. That's the beauty of our faith. In fact, it was as a young Randian, I wanted an anthropology that supported her vision of the human person that I just couldn't under, and I didn't want it in revealed religion because yeah. there were, there was like one commandment I found very obnoxious as a young man, you know? Which so one? which one do you think? I don't want to say it, you know, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, there's this commandment that was obnoxious. I said, you know, I don't, I was not interested in being revealed religion. I wanted yeah. an atheist anthropology. Right to support the vision that Ayn Rand was presenting. And I remember when I was sort of shocked and I kind of came to the understanding of Ayn Rand is advancing a diminished vision of the human person that Christianity introduced to the world through its teaching on the incarnation of the third, second person of the Trinity. Yeah. And Ayn Rand, without ever knowing it, was kind of like an evangelist of the Imago Dei. And she, she would have never gotten that, but she led me to the, I say that Ayn Rand, Sartre and Roe v. Wade made me a Christian. Well, you know, it, it's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, you just point right to what Jesus said, that the whole law and the prophets hinge on two commandments. <laughs> love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And, um, this, this is where that kindness, by the way, comes in. You know, I went on my website, I make this, part of my argument for the against nice principle uh, from Micah 6, 8. He has shown you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And real peace comes within that exchange. And, but, but, but so many people don't understand the justice principle. I mean, it really is justice for all. It's not as some people have done on the whole, homosexual activist movements. It's not justice for everyone except the homosexuals that we hate so much. You know, it's not justice for, um, uh, for uh, big business at the expense of small business. I mean, all these dichotomies that you can find. It's, it's a permanent and clear set of principles of truth that are the foundations of all justice. And we don't ever figure it all out I mean, because there's something we're learning all the time. But those principles, that, that truth exists and those principles are firm, firmly established within the human heart. And this is why we care for the individual at every level, in any circumstance, at any time. And anyone, again, you know, if you're not at risk of being accused of hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, you might not be engaging in, with the culture in the right way. If that's not a you're risk. Definitely not, definitely, you're definitely not working on Capitol Hill. Yeah. <laughs> well. Can I address that? Something you said that, yeah. that I want to address. Like, yeah. Um, I, I guarantee there's people that, that take the title of your show to justify just crappy, their own crappiness. Right. 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 So um, we're not saying be a jackass. You know, there's this great uh, expression that was the Yaffers put on t-shirts in the early 60s from that great book from Eric Vogelin um, in the early nine or the, the Walgreens lecture series from the early fifties. Uh, um, I forget the name of it right now, but it was don't amantize the eschaton. Do you remember that? Oh yes. Yeah. And, and really what that means is don't turn our faith into an ideology, yeah. but you can spot the people that do that. Yeah. 
because they're as crappy as the social, the, any other That's ideologue. Right. They treat our teaching on human sexuality or marriage or life as, as a way to brutalize and scapegoat and be thoughtless to other humans. Yeah. We're not saying that. Like yeah. that's you're not saying that when you're saying don't be nice. When you do that, you're really in a way, you're emantizing the eschaton. You're making yeah. our faith into an ideology. And these people are brittle. They're not persuasive. You find that their children leave the faith. Like, look, if you're watching this, and not necessarily, but if your children left the faith, you know, if no one's at, if you've, you're not in a lot of baptisms because of relationships with you, and you're lonely, and you have to start face fake fake. Uh, social media accounts with not real pictures yeah. <laughs> communicate to people so that, you, that everyone doesn't run from you. You have turned your faith into an ideology. Right. And it is so much richer and more beautiful oh, than that. Yeah. And it's more, like I said, it's a dance. It's a challenge. It's like, um, an ideology is a mere face. Yeah. It's not an active participant in life. And, and the distinction I make is between niceness and kindness. You know, I, I talk about a lot about, there's a bumper sticker I saw many years ago as I've thought through this whole process, but it said, mean people suck. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, th that is such a profound, uh, clarifying statement of niceness because yeah. nice is subjective anyway. What I consider, what I consider nice is, is some subjective element yeah. that means something to me that if I don't see it in others, I either ostracize them or seek to impose them to change to my construct. But reality and truth is much broader than this. That's why kindness is, which is an action. It's kind of like love is a verb, so it's kindness. Kindness requires uh, a selfless pursuit of the good of others. Yeah. Whereas niceness uh, judges perceives and demands compliance. Yeah, niceness is love of self. Actually, yeah. niceness is, I'll give you two examples and a great example of that. Dave Rubin had on two Catholics. Uh -huh. One was Bishop Barron. No, no, <laughs> I'm going to mix it up. It was, uh, it was D Dave, not Dave Rubin. Um, ben Shapiro had on Bishop Barron. I'm Catholic. A lot of your audience probably likes Bishop Barron. Yeah. He's a nice guy. We're, we're friendly. Yeah. I know him. He is a nice guy. So you have Milo asked about human sexuality, homosexuality, and he's very clear on the church's teachings. He even is self-deprecating in him, himself. He goes, well, but you're a homosexual. And then Milo makes a joke. He says, well, God and I have an agreement, you know, but he clearly stated and how many of us have done that? You know, how many of us have made little private right. side contracts with God in our imagination right. to get around right. his very clear teaching? So he's showing humility there. He's being self-deprecating. You know, when Bishop Barron was asked, he, he, he used ambiguous language. When he was asked by, I believe it was uh, Dave Rubin, no, Ben Shapiro, when Bishop Barron was asked about, about um, do you have to accept Jesus Christ to be saved or be Catholic to be saved? Rather than clearly express the church's teaching, which would be the loving thing, he did the nice thing, which he said, it's the privileged way. It's mm. the privileged way. Mm. When Milo, who's an open and out of the closet homosexual, um, is asked about the 
Christian, Christian's teaching on human sexuality, he defended it, acknowledged it was right, was self-deprecating, threw himself under the bus. Yeah, He did this. That's a very loving thing to do. But most people would say Bishop Barron is the loving one and Milo is this hateful jerk. Yeah. But it's exactly the opposite. Right. Whatever you want to say about Bishop Barron, he is very thoughtful of about how he is perceived. Right. And, and Milo is too. But I think Milo wants to be perceived in a way as to be useful to communicate truths that he thinks is very important. You know, it's interesting. When, what you just described is not just him concerned about his impression upon people and how he's perceived, but it, he also took into account what others already perceive about him in that yes. answer. Yes. So it's it's like he hadn't ignored that. And for all of Milo's excesses, and there are a few of them, and I get embarrassed by it. And I pray, frankly. by the way, I know, look, and I think he's young and he's probably going through a lot. Right. I just pray God gives him this invincible grace yep. to heal and become a beautiful example to the world. Yep. And um, look, a young man figuring life out yeah. on the world stage in the blink of an eye is hard, you know? Well, and, and, and so everyone on the left that hated him and yeah. bashed on him and ostracized him, those are all nice people. They're nice, aren't they? <laughs> I, I say nice people are, are most of them are the meanest, most evil people in the world because of their hatred of others, because of their self-concern as opposed to the concern of others. Kindness seeks the concern of others first. And I, that's why I make this distinction. Now, before we lose our time here, uh, and, and we'll come back and do it some other time in the future, or I'll do it on your podcast if we get a chance to do that as well. But we got to talk about the value of life in the womb. Yeah. And you Thank have you. been at the front of this. And by the way, life is a libertarian ideal. I don't, I don't hate libertarians. In fact, it's only true libertarians that, that uh, call themselves pro-choicers that I might give them a little bit of leeway to call them pro-choicers because at least they thought about it. But it, it's still wrong. It came to the wrong conclusion. I mean, Judge Napolitano, one of the great libertarian thinkers out there is pro-life. Anyone who sees the concepts of liberty and understands them must take into account the rights of the unborn because liberty is a human value, uh, a value towards humans for their individual nature. And we need to stand up for these people. You have worked so hard in your career to stand up for the unborn. What would you like to say here as we get near the closing of this? Well, I'm glad you, you know, um, asked me this question. First of all, I think it's Federalist 21 that says life and liberty uh, cannot be separated. They can be destroyed, but they cannot be separated. So life and liberty are, are mysteriously connected. And I wouldn't say I'm a libertarian. Um, I, I don't, I would say I'm an advocate of the Anglo-American political tradition. And I don't even know how to say that anymore. Does that make me No, like, not a problem. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the gospel, if you study from the Christians that were saving, first of all, the Didache written in, in the yep. first century, the oldest extant catechesis, you know, from the first century, probably written by Peter. Right. Uh, forbids abortion. Yeah, the the earliest political action that we hear from what we would call political action today from Christians and Jews in the Roman Empire 
was saving children off the exposure walls. Yeah. Where the Romans and in the forests. Yeah, they would they would take the the babies off the exposure walls. I've actually written a uh, a script called The Wall that's set in a forest outside of an exposure wall, where the um, the Jews and the Christians would rescue rescue these children off the walls and raise them as their own. And the Romans found that so creepy. Who would raise somebody else's child? Freaks, gross. They never thought who would put their child on a wall to be ripped apart by wild beasts. And by the way, Justin Martyr made this argument as well, too, when he wrote to Antonius Pius, the Roman emperor, in, in his apology, apology, you know, when he was saying, hey, we're, we're good citizens. We're, yeah. we're helping people. And plus, we don't, we don't send our kids to the exposure walls. I mean, he talked about this. And That's beautiful. Send yeah. me that. I, I want to yeah, know. Well, maybe I can draw that for my script. Yeah. Because it's my pet project. It's something that probably won't be made for 10 years, but it's my yeah. pet project. So, yeah. So when you, when I just want to address like being pro-life and for me, it began, uh, it was my, it was my inciting incident. I was a young boy who thought about nothing, but I wanted to be a father since I was a little boy. My mother had me when she was 16. She was married a lot, divorced a lot, had a lot of kids with the different husbands. So my, and I was going back and forth between my dad and my mom. I just Mm -hmm. always wanted to be a father. So at 17, when my girlfriend told me she was pregnant, we were both. Uh, from not the ideal situations. And so to me, it was, I'm off to the races and get to build a beautiful, peaceful family. And then this abortion happened, forced on my girlfriend, forced on me. Mm. So that was my inciting incident, as we would say in the film industry or call to adventure, as they would say. So um, I didn't have any religious belief. I'd never went to church a day in my life. My mother was very anti-Christian. Her father was a Scientologist, is a Scientologist. My grandpa's 91, is still a Scientologist. My father was a fallen away Catholic. I never went to church, nor did we ever talk about God or politics in my home. It was this idea that you could kill a child in the womb that was unimaginable to me. And so when you, I want to link it up to how fundamental this issue is. So you have a libertarian audience. I look at libertarianism as the fruit, this beautiful mystery of this fruit of this idea of the incarnation, how it changed, how we saw the human person. And it's no mistake that from the field, from the forests of Germany, and as they migrated into England, and then we have this document, the Magna Carta, the Glorious Revolution, the English Bill of Rights. In all of this, you see uh, a recognition, a growing recognition, then in in the Mayflower Compact, and then a Declaration of Independence, and those beautiful Federalist and beautiful Anti-Federalist papers, and in the letters that they wrote. It was really just this flowering of this understanding of the beauty of the human person that our founding fathers had that they thought was self-evident because they were raised in a Christian society. It is not self-evident. It is the fruit of Christian anthropology. Okay, that being said, there were three vital threats, mortal threats to our republic, slavery, segregation, and abortion. That those three ideologies of evil waged a war on the founding principle of this country that's in the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration Principle, which Abraham Lincoln called the golden apple, that the Constitution was just the frame. It was the beautiful mm. work of art. That beautiful work of art is Christian anthropology. Yeah. The inviolable dignity of the human person. So to me, I know because of my 30 plus years of work in the pro-life movement, and that's all I talk about everywhere I go. So everyone shares with me their abortion stories, everyone on all sides of the spectrum, and they're all tragic. They're not bar mitzvahs. They're not bat mitzvahs. 
These aren't something, this isn't like we were told in the 70s and 80s, this is a great expression of women's rights. It's a tragedy. We all know that. Um, but this is what you need to know, libertarians, who see this as like uh, just a, a peripheral issue. Abortion wages a war on liberty because it wages a war on life. You know, and I know, we all know, the biological beginning of the human person is when that little part of the mother meets the little part of the father and there's a new person. That's when life and liberty begin. And all human persons deserve protection from violence, especially the most vulnerable. We need a preferential option for the vulnerable. As in people, we need to order our lives around protecting that, working with our cousin that's addicted to painkillers or our best friend who's going through a divorce. Our whole life needs to constantly be ordered around caring for the vulnerable. There's nobody more vulnerable than a young girl with a tiny child in her womb. They both need to be protected from violence. Look, if we don't see legal protection for the child in the womb from the violence of abortion in our lifetime, our republic will collapse. Yep. Because it rests on a vision of the human person. And Roe v. Wade radically changes our vision of the human person. You know, anthropology, a person's anthropology says everything about what, uh, what they believe, what they think. You know how uh, a lot of people in the finance area will say, yeah, hey, whatever you do with all the money you make says uh, abundantly about you. Well, ultimately, your anthropology sets every bit of where you stand in morality, in your understanding of economics, of, of any science, and, and of government. And uh, Christian anthropology, th this is why I had gotten to know Andrew Breitbart before he died. We were working on a few things together. And, you know, he used to say he was an agnostic. And he used to say, listen, I love Christians. We would not have freedom without the Judeo-Christian ethic. It just doesn't exist. Um, and fundamentally, even though the American Constitution um, laid out in the words that were laid out, as expressed philosophically through the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, and even the Anti-Federalist Papers, as you pointed out, is the closest we've ever come to an understanding of the ultimate truth related to mankind. But it is not something we worship at. We utilize it. We, we need to stand for it. This is fundamentally what we need to do as a society. But ultimately, it's, it's only just the closest expression of the ultimate understanding of who mankind is that's ever been written out in a governmental document. And we have to understand, and as people who believe in liberty, who believe in the ultimate nature of who mankind is, we, we have to dig as far back as we can, just all this, honestly, from Plato and Aristotle all the way to now, mankind's pursuit of an understanding of ultimate truth, pagan though it may have been in their case, but everything that all this received wisdom down through the ages is just the ultimate pursuit of man to figure out what is ultimately real. Well, what we know in this life that is real is that mankind is supremely valuable, that individuals in that group of mankind are eminently valuable and deserving 
of their individual freedom and down into the womb of their life. And these uh, principles are worth asserting. And, and we can't even assert uh, these constitutional principles without that greater understanding. And, and this is, I mean, I'm, I intend to engage on this constantly on this podcast. Thank you. Because it's really important for people to understand. It's much bigger than just the Constitution. Yeah, you libertarians, I know some of your audience wants to yeah. sell that issue down the river, wishes that issue didn't exist. Yeah. Because it, it exists, though. Yes. And you cannot sell it down the river. Yeah. It is fundamental. Yeah. There's a lot of libertarians. I was a member of the Libertarian Party, you know, until I was 27. Yeah. And, and so many of them were pro-life but didn't want to talk about it. Right. And, you know, let's talk about income tax. Or da, da, da. I said, guys, this is fundamental. I, I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't understand it at the time. I was still an atheist looking for an explanation. I've been, a, I've been in love with human beings, you know, like in awe of them since I was a child. I do the spiritual exercise. You know, I, I live in airports and where I just, I walk through the airport, I'll sit there and I'll look at people and like as consciously look at them and try not to be creepy about it. You know, you got to like avert your eyes to kind of move around. But look at them with, think about your own child, the people you love most in your life. Look at them and know God loves that person more. They're more fascinating, more beautiful. They're, they're the most beautiful thing in the universe. You could fly in any direction for all of eternity and you'll never see anything more beautiful than that person across the way in the food court, uh, you know, sloppily eating a, a hamburger, you know, and they got an onion right here. That's the most beautiful created being in the universe. And sometimes, because I've been doing this now for 15 years, you know, you walk through the airport and I'm just in awe. Like C.S. Lewis said that God has to give us a bit of a filter so we don't see each other as we really are because we would fall to our knees in adoration of every human person we've, we look at because each and every one of us is literally made in the image of God. Yeah. And so imagine like if we could see each other as we really are in the cosmos, we could not walk down the street. You couldn't yeah, because you would literally fall to your knees like those angels drop before Mary and you would, you just wouldn't be able to, you, you, you couldn't be able to take your eyes off this person. Nancy Pelosi, you couldn't, you'd be just like, whoa, the most beautiful, nothing in the created world is more beautiful than Nancy Pelosi. That is true. It's true about me. It's true about who do they hit on our side? Who's the most hated? Steve Bannon. He's a friend of yeah. mine. Yeah. I know Steve Bannon. Um, can I tell you something about Andrew Breitbart before we go? Yeah, tell me. So I've got permission to tell this now, you know. Um, Andrew is a good friend of mine, as you know, and uh, we were working on a reality show. It was going to be Andrew, myself, Jennifer Cadena, who's the co-founder of Movie to Move, and this DJ, DJ Menelik, who's a Sufi advocate of chastity, who's like one of the biggest DJs in LA. And, uh, awesome. And Andrew, who is Jewish. And we were going to travel around the country in a Winnebago. And... So going to political events and on yeah. the left and challenging them, this sort of a Latina, right. a black Sufi Muslim, a devout Catholic and <clears throat> Andrew. And so we were talking about the show and then Andrew said, Jason, after, um, oh, the singer, she, she drowned. What's wrong? My brain's freezing right now. Right before Andrew died in the, the in her bathtub. Oh, oh, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. After Whitney Houston died. I don't know what it was about that experience. I kind of do, but I'm not going to really say. So after Whitney Houston died and was left by her friends in the bathtub till the party was over, 
that had some strange effect on Andrew. And he said to me, Jason, um, and I was never going to say this publicly, but the family said, no, you can share it. Um, he said, Jason, in our show, he's like, I realized I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I've been hiding from it for too long. I'm a Christian. So in our reality show, every week, I'm going to get baptized in a different denomination. He didn't want to take it to me. <laughs> He's great. He was great. <laughs> so I said, Andrew, it doesn't work that way. Like, you get baptized in a Methodist church, the Lutherans are going to accept it. You go to Calvary Chapel, the Catholics are going to accept it. You go to Catholic church, you get baptized. We're all, all Christians are going to accept it. Now, you can't go to Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. Right. But, but all trinitarian christian religion we all accept one baptism and uh he said no, he didn't get it he's like no 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 every week it's going to be a different church i'm like it doesn't no one's going to baptize you a second time andrew but <laughs> so i just wanted to share that with you that you know and i didn't want to tell the story publicly because i didn't want to you know um offend his family or but it got to his family and i didn't realize that they became christians too so I'm glad to hear that. I have to tell you, I spent, I, I hadn't gotten to know Andrew really well, but when I was working for uh, Tim Hill's camp in his congressional office uh, and, and uh, Tim was taking on Warren Buffett and that, that was that Tim was the one who caused Buffett to talk about this. Uh, you know, I pay less in taxes in per tax percentage than my secretary or whatever. Well, that oh, yeah, was yeah, a yeah. Tim Hill's camp thing. He went yeah, after that. It was great. So I had a, it was three, literally three days before he died. I was on the phone with Andrew and I was like, okay, because Tim really wanted to take this on. I was like, okay, here's the deal, Andrew. This is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, we need to take the bastard out. <laughs> he says, yes, we're going to. And we, we really had started to think through that. And then three days later he died. But, um, you know, he was a real warrior for good. And uh, I'm going to, by the way, have David Brody from CBN on my podcast come oh, up great. sometime soon. <clears throat> but David, I, but I had had this, this conversation with Andrew that I told you about earlier. And then he talked about on David Brody's, on a David Brody interview, this guy really understood the value of Christians. And he did it because he went to Tulane University, you know, down near where they buckled the Bible belt and had, got exposed to a lot of Christians, had hated Christians before that. And they all treated him yeah. with love. Yeah. and care and it really impacted his life and i'm glad to hear i hadn't heard that story and so i'm glad peter schweitzer is a good friend of mine and, and was a really close friend yeah. with andrew as well and By um, way, he's somebody who people made out to be some bad gruff guy the most loving oh my gosh yes kind human being i have ever met my youngest Every, son is named after him he was the kindest yeah person I've ever, isn't it interesting that. And he was a good family man too. I mean, people, oh, yeah. they, they saw all of his political activism. They did not see that family interaction. He loved his family, loved his father-in-law who just passed away. Not long Orson ago. Bean. Orson, Bean. Orson called me. So I told somebody the story and I said, don't tell anybody. So he calls Orson and Orson. So here Orson Bean calls me like the legend. And he's like, I'm not kidding you. It was Orson and then the family. And I don't know who was who. And they were all, Jason, where is Andrew? Somebody said, where is Andrew? And I was like, what? Where is, I'm going to cry, you know? Uh. Where is Andrew? And I thought, you know, Andrew and I worked a lot together. We were always trying to get our families together. We always wanted to go to, um, with my wife and his wife too. He loved punk. 
yeah, punk yeah, music. So we were always yeah. trying to find a concert, but we were always traveling. So me and Andrew spent all of our time together outside of LA. Right. You know, and so I didn't really know his family. So they were like, where's Andrew Jason? And, and I'm thinking they're still maybe culturally Jewish or practicing Jewish. And I, I, I said, what do you, what? They're like, is he in heaven? And I said, hmm? I said, I said, well, if anyone is in heaven, I, I have to imagine it's Andrew. Uh, and she said, well, no, but, is, but he's not a Christian. Did he tell you, then somebody, I think it was Orson, did he tell you, he said kind of firmly, that he wanted to become a Christian? And someone had told them what I told them, I'm Catholic, I believe in baptism by desire. Right. If you did, this, this came about during the times of the great persecutions in the early church. Yeah. Some people were killed. That's why we have very liberal rules on baptism. Like you can be baptized by someone who's not a Christian. Yeah. You know, of all the sacraments in the Catholic church, you can well, literally. Not in this controversy. I mean, it's it came really, from really when you were in prison about to have your head chopped off yeah. or whatever. You could say to the pagan, hey, baptize me in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with this water. And that's why we as Catholics can sprinkle it. You know, the baptism, right. they got to submerge. Well, we had, we had to talk about that in the first couple of centuries when people were like, uh, we just got a little bit of water yeah. and we're in prison and there's no believers here. Can you baptize me? Yeah. But the church also said, well, listen, come on. If someone yeah. is there dying for the faith and is longing for baptism, they're baptism by desire. So someone said, uh, I'm not going to throw my friend under the bus. He said, so-and-so told us that Andrew told you that he wanted to become a Christian. I said, listen, I didn't tell anyone but that friend and maybe, and I told Steve Bannon and another person. I said, I, um, I just, uh, I'm not baptizing the dead here, but yes. I don't mean to offend you, but that's what he said. And they said, and they said, the Catholic church teaches you, they're not, they're not Catholic. I found out yeah. they're born again believers. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you tell them that the, the Catholic church teaches you can be baptism by desire? Just that, that, what is this baptism by desire? I said, yeah, I mean, if you long to be baptized and he longed to be baptized every, every week, you know, um, I said, uh, I said, yeah, you know, he, he's baptized by desire. There's no doubt about that. And then I just heard his whole family cheer, you know? Oh, that's because great. Cheered. And yeah. uh, so as a Catholic, yeah. Saint, I will canonize him. St. Andrew, pray for us. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I can, now all these Catholics, Groypers are going to get mad at me. But um, yeah, no, no. He is, in my book, a saint and a yeah. beautiful man. And I, I pray to be as loving and as kind and as gentle of a man as Andrew Breitbart. That he's the kind of guy that you always saw um, the the real work of God in, even w whether he was uh, connecting with him or not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah. just 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 amazing. He was a good guy. I really appreciated him, and uh, what a what a wonderful man. Well, that's yeah, he awesome. Did, uh, mensch. Yeah. Mensch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've gone a long time, and we're going to do this again now. Yes, sir. Hopefully on your podcast. Yes, you're on my Def show. Definitely on mine too. We'll, we'll have a lot of fun with this. And I want to say this to you. You have been an amazing friend to me. And it works thousands of miles away. We yeah. always seem to meet in D.C., but other places too. Um, but I'm very grateful for that friendship. I think you, and we're going to talk more about the abortion issue next time we get together, but I want you to know that your passion and commitment to truth is amazing and it inspires me. I hope that I have returned in some way 
the same kind of friendship back to you. Brother, you don't even know. You did return it in a big way. Um, can I share a funny story with you that you sure. did? Sure. I was walking through the Capitol with one of my donors. Uh, I'm not a big donor, but they had the potential of being a big donor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the work I do, people don't get to see because I can't really tell people what I do because then I won't be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, an influence through relationships in the Hill or in different agencies or whatever. And I was walking through and you came running out of your office <laughs> and you're like, Jason. <laughs> and this was in front of my donor. And you said, um, my first two media I check every day is the Drudge Report and your Facebook page. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do remember and that. You got me a really big donation. That was that really impressed this donor. Oh, that's and I, awesome. We needed it. We need, and it was like you were like the fourth person in the in the Capitol that 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 day that had come running down the hall or came out of their office and said, "I love what you do," and she was like. Did you, you said that? I'm not, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, but you got me a big donation. So you have from Bella to a random donation because you, uh, we, I bumped into you in the Capitol building. That was great. That's awesome. Yeah. It was always, and sometimes you were there and I know you're always busy and running and then we just run into each other. I can't tell you how wonderful that was every time Yeah, that was awesome. because it's a great fellowship. You're a great guy. And, um, I just, I can't thank you. And I'm glad that that happened by the way. I oh yeah. No brother, that was cool. I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> for the Bella thing because I still, you know, you have had some great movies that you've uh, promoted, but I still feel like Bella was just, I mean, just a beautiful jewel that I think every person needs to see to understand the value of life without being preachy. But just the, I cry. There are two times I cry in that movie. I'm even tearing up now is obviously toward the yes. end there. Yeah. But, but just that, that whole interaction with his family right in the middle of the movie. I mean, I just, and, and just the, the little discussion about his playing soccer. Um, you just, you just, this, this captures, the value of, of human life so well. And I just hope everyone will watch it again, but thank you. Um, but anyway, man, you're awesome. I really appreciate you doing the podcast. We went longer than my normal podcast, but I'm going to no, tell no, you. Sorry about that guys. No, don't we, worry about you know it. it is, we haven't talked in a long time. Oh so my I gosh. Think, I think it's just, I want to talk to you. So it's been is, a few is, months, man, since we had a good long yeah. conversation, a text yeah. here and there, or a quick phone call. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I, this is so fantastic. I know everyone's going to listen to it all the way. And that's because you're a fantastic person to hear from. So let's do a podcast together soon on your side. We'll do another one on mine. It's going to be yeah, great. I don't get arrested today. I'm yeah, out to the right. chopper right now. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you, brother. And uh, appreciate it. Jason Jones, folks. Oh, give him a website for people to go to. I got to get that. Yeah, out. my website. I have two movie to movement, which is movie to movement.com. You can see my new movie coming out later this year, Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson. Tight end for the New England Patriots. It's a look at abortion and the history of abortion in America. And my organization that's really closest to my heart is the Vulnerable People Project. We, we seek to advance the interests of vulnerable people from the child in the womb to the Uyghur and Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. And that's usually why I'm on the Hill doing VPP stuff. If you go to that website, thegreatcampaign.org, and you, for $20 donation, you get a free copy of my book, We Pay for the Shipping. And the race to save our century I wrote with the, the most the best writer in, in America today, I think John Zmirak. That's great. And by the way, that is a whole podcast topic right there. We've talked about that a lot. We got to do it here on the podcast. So thank you. Thanks, Jason Jones. Appreciate it, my friend. Aloha. Aloha. 
Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. And again, before you leave us, I just want to ask you, connect with us on our email list and our social media. Go to politicsisntnice.com. Click on the join our email list button. We'll get you information related to what we learned here today, but also uh, other information that we're finding out along the way. It'll be a great resource for you. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash against nice and our Twitter page at against nice. Go check us out there and we look forward to talking to you, getting your feedback, finding out more from you. Thanks. Have a great day.